Hey, everybody. This is Frankie from the Breakpoint Podcast. We want to thank you all for tuning in to Marcus and I discussing our love and passion for the game of tennis. Your engagement and support goes a long way to helping this podcast continue to grow. Please be sure to give us a follow. Rate our podcast on our social channels, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, Google, or any other place that you get your podcasts. And on social media, Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast 7, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod 7, LinkedIn, and of course, our website, podpage.com forward slash break dash point dash podcast. Remember to subscribe to our podcast so you're the first to know when there's a new episode drop and more people like you can find our podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Breakpoint Podcast, starring myself, Marcus, and my co-host, Frankie. Frankie, today we're going to be talking a little bit about what's been going on during the Asian tennis swing uh, in the month of October. We just had Beijing 500 last week, and we've got the Shanghai 1000 Masters currently ongoing. Um, this is usually time of year where you and I don't tune in too much. However, there's been some interesting stuff going on at these tournaments. Uh Let's start off with Beijing, Frankie. What has been kind of the highlight for you over the last two weeks? Yeah, I think it's also just impossible for us to really be able to tune in for any of these. Like, they're happening completely overnight for us. But I think that the highlight of the Asian swing so far has definitely been Yannick Sinner seeming to take this sort of next step in his game and obviously comes away with the Beijing title and has he's won his first round in Shanghai so far. We'll see how he fares there. We'll talk about it. But uh, I think absent Novak Djokovic, it is really actually, I think, kind of fun to see the ATP tour because it's just so much more open and less sort of uh, decisive as it would be if Novak was there. You just feel so much confidence with Novak there. But I think... Jan, to me, you know, Marcus, just to jump into it, um, you know, I criticized him a few months ago of saying that I don't think that he's winning these big matches and that I don't know if he's getting the yips or not, whatever it may be. The guy goes into a tournament and he beats Carlos Alcaraz and Daniil Medvedev back to back to win the title in straight sets, I might add, which is incredibly impressive totally legitimate win, way more important than just like a regular old 500 level tour event for sure. But to me, what stood out is something that you have been calling on him for, you know, a year now to fix, which is his body. You know, his movement just looked so much better. He was holding the baseline so much better, not getting pushed back. And that I think was part one of the sort of transformation that I saw. But actually, Marcus, to me, the thing that I saw was that I didn't think would be as important for him, but clearly made the difference in those two matches, was Jan's return was unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable in both of those matches, getting consistent return winners off of Alcaraz and Medvedev. In the post-match interview, Alcaraz actually even pointed it out that, like, I have to be so intentional with my serve because if I'm not hitting it right, he can just end the point right away. Um, off the serve return. So I think a lot of positives for Jan going into the uh, end of the year. And he clinches number four in the world and uh, a berth in the ATP Tour Finals for the first time. Yeah, I think this is a really, really good 
kind of stepping stone for him into next year. And we'll see how he does in, in Paris at the ATP finals too. But I think there's going to be a couple of things for him to really kind of progress on in this offseason is one that using that return of serve more effectively, getting more easy points and getting into people's service games. Um, obviously, he's improved his own serve tremendously, so that'll help him also kind of gain more confidence in his own serve if he's able to get more breaks. And then, like you mentioned, something we've talked about a lot, his body. I think that he showed by winning these 500 events and by beating Carlos and Daniil and these guys in two sets, he shows the talent is there. Like, no one's ever questioned that. The next step, the next progression is, okay, let's get that body strong. Let's get it durable. And let's see if you can do some damage at some slams. I think that there's always been an off season for some players where you, they come back and you're like, wow, something's different about them. I'm, I'm expecting something kind of like when Joker went to the gluten diet, came back stronger, fitter, took it to another level. Agassi back then when he was training with uh, with Gil Reyes came back stronger, started playing better. I want to see that from Jan this winter, this offseason, so that when we see him in Australia, he can take this momentum to go with him. But this is, I think this is the exact confidence boost that he needed after a relatively kind of, I'd say, rough summer um, in terms of kind of not meeting expectations with his performance. Yeah, and I think you're completely right with all of that. This has to be his, like, 2010 Novak offseason into 2011 Australian Open, right? Like, that that's what you're referring to. Completely yep. agree that that's what sort of needs to happen. And it's something that, like, I have actually said about Novak, um, using actually the logic that, that you um, have pointed out many a times. I don't know if I've actually spoken about it with you. But, like, Jan reminds me of Novak in the sense of his body is so clearly just not there yet relative to the other guys that he's competing with but the skill level is so clearly there like it's on par if not better than some of the people that he's you know touching right now rankings wise and i think that if his but when his body catches up which like he very much seems like he's just a late bloomer with his body type like he's just not going to have that body until he's in his mid to mid 20s um he is just going to be a force. Um, I mean, he he has every weapon in the book. When he's playing this confidently, it is almost impossible for a player to beat him just because of that offensive style he can play. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just completely agree with you. I, I think that Jan, now that he's in the top four also, will have his own dedicated quarter in, in a major and won't have to worry about playing Carlos in another quarterfinal, right? which is a huge win for him. So there's just a lot of things that I think are so going in Jan's way. Um, you know, beating Medvedev, Medvedev is really like the worst kind of player that Sinner can play. And he still man and he managed to beat him in straights, which is incredibly impressive. So a uh, lot of momentum going his way. Marcus, the player that I wanted to get your sort of thoughts on, especially going into Paris Barcy, not, too far in the future here is Holger Rune, who has just fallen off the Wagon. face of the earth into yeah. the, he is approaching the pit of irrelevancy at this point. Um, uh, Marcus, what's going on there? Because this is a guy who I think you thought highly of, I certainly thought highly of, was changing paces, doing damage on clay courts, taking out Novak on a clay court. Like, 
what's going on here that he's bowing out 6-2-6-0 it's a Brandon Nakashima the more Tugaloo effect <laughs> no but in all honesty um I, see honestly it really it really could have to do with more Tugaloo because more Tugaloo in the beginning it looked like it was really helping his game um more Tugaloo is big about promoting your player making sure you know, we get the name out, the marketing, the advertising. But if you, if, if things go south in that relationship, um, especially for a young guy like him, it's a little bit different if you're like a more older experienced player, you know, you can switch coaches every once in a while. You kind of know the deal. But when you have someone like Holger who's really young, who ascended to the top of the game relatively quick, Frankie, I mean, he was, he had a couple of good tournaments last year, Paris Bercy, and then all of a sudden he was like, wow, he's like a top 10 threat. Like we're, we're picking him to, you know, be a threat at the French Open potentially and stuff like that. And then for, you you know, you and your coach to kind of split up like that. And there's, there, you know, there's, there's weird involvement with his mother and, you know, the family side of things. It's like we there's a lot of things that we don't know or that we can speculate about, Frankie, um, that goes beyond just tennis in terms of like what's going on in the background with a player and their psyche. And. I mean, we've seen it with FAA, who apparently has had some kind of, I think, too many cooks in the kitchen this year, and it continues to show that he's just had like one of the worst seasons he's had in a while. I thought it was a knee at first, but no, it's all mental. Same thing kind of happened to Holger. So I think him and his team, or really it's just himself, he needs to figure out who needs to be in his team, who's really looking out for his best interests, who's not going to leave him you know, in, in the dust, really. Um that, that's just kind of my opinion. I don't think it's actually like a tennis issue. Uh, I think there are some things with his game that I think could improve, but I think this is more so like what's going on behind the scenes, what's going on in your camp right now. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I think all of those things are very true. I think this definitely seems to be a mental thing. I think he – it's funny that you pointed out FAA because that's the player that I think he probably has the most in common with in terms of just ascending to the top of the game really just way too fast and not really having the sort of foundations in place to maintain that place. He's a player that was top five in the world at 19, right? If I'm remembering right, at least top six in the world at 19. So beat Djokovic at Paris, you know, like expectations super high. Expectations were just way too high, way too fast. And I think he just has some growing pains to do. I don't want to like write him off in the sense of like, I don't think that he'll get back to that point of being a top five player in the world. I think he probably will, to be honest, but I think that he just has a lot of growing up to do. And this is something that we've known for a long time. He's a really immature guy. He's, he's just super immature. He's like fire for the game is something that is sort of to his benefit in a lot of ways and probably has helped him beat guys like Djokovic when he shouldn't have, but at the same time is just causing him to just melt down in matches that he probably should be winning. So it's a little bit of a mixed bag from Holger. We'll see how it sort of shakes out, but you know, I think that the top four or five players in the world right now is actually probably the most reflective of the actual best four or five players in the world now that we've seen guys like Sitsipas fall out and Holger Runa fall out and uh, Kasper Ruud fall out. Like, these were guys that 
I think you, myself, and everybody who's actually watching the tennis matches can confidently say are just simply not the best four or five guys in the world, right? The top four right now is Novak, Carlos, Medvedev, Sinner, and that's exactly what the rankings reflect, and that's the most correct that it's been in, in quite a while. Yeah, I agree, and 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 I think that these guys like Runa and Rude, I think they can regain their form. But I think a lot of these guys just need to really take a deep look at what's going on in their camp and what's really best for them. Because I think the guys who have the most success right now have kind of clear goals, objectives, and their team is fully on board with that. So it, it's a learning process. You know, again, this is kind of a tough situation being on tour like this and being in the spotlight at such a young age, but um, someone who else who I would, who I would like to talk to about uh, Frankie is someone who's been doing very well and is now back in the top 10, uh, Mr. Alex Zverev. Um, he won the Chengdu Open uh, 250 event, which was pretty cool. Um, ended up losing to Medvedev in, in Beijing and he, he just got smacked by Safulin. but like, I'm not even going to count that because I looked at the stats. Safulin played like one of the best tennis matches, like pretty much, ever in terms of quality yeah i don't know if you watched any of that match like the highlights but that was just the ultimate like robin soderling-esque performance of just like oh yeah like everything went right no one in the world is going to beat me right now yeah that's pretty much it and that happens once a year so it happened to Sarah once a year and i'm not going to take anything away from him i think he's had a great last couple of months it's nice to see him back in the top 10 he's finally regaining some confidence um I wanted to get on your get your thoughts on what you think has kind of changed for him. Is this just more so? Is it a mental thing that he's kind of improved upon? Is it a physical thing? Like he's actually starting to trust that ankle again. What have you seen in the last like two to three months that has really kind of stood out to you with his game? I think it's both of those things and a third thing. I think the third thing being that his ranking has come up, so he's not having to face these guys in rounds two or three he's facing them much later in the tournament when his body is prepped and isn't worn out yet right um so for me i think that zverev one obviously physically he looks better though i will say he looked to me he started to look physically in the right place around may which is about a year after the injury so that ties out but i think mentally i didn't see him reach that point of like, oh, this is the guy that was knocking on the door for top three player in the world when we were last looking at him and almost taking down prime Rafa on clay. Um, this starting in like August, like just before the US Open, you started to see that happen. And, you know, it's good. I mean, Zverev, Zverev is, I'm happy to see Zverev there because I think of all of, you know, that sort of generation that he's in, like not counting Medvedev because he's a little bit older, but like more along the like Sitsipas lines, like Zverev to me is a much more talented player than Sitsipas is. So to sort of see like, okay, I know you're going to debate me on the talent portion, but like it's I think Zverev is a much day. better player than Sitsipas is. I'll, I'll, I'll rephrase it and say that. Even that's the, Oh man, that's another episode. Because I'm just—it's a tough—it's a tough conversation. I think it's more of a personal preference. Okay, well, yeah, that is actually sure we could do that as an episode. That's fine with me. But um, <laughs> all right, I like Zverev more as a player than I do Sitsipas. I enjoy watching Zverev more than I like 
watching Sitsipas. What about as a person? Well, as a no person, comment. I mean, we're t- <laughs> you're asking me between too. as a person between Zverev and Sitsipas, you're asking me like the South Park episode with the election of the douche and a turd sandwich, but <laughs> whatever. <laughs> true. True, true. But yeah, I mean, listen, Zverev is Zverev to me like is the obvious player that who is outside of the top five that is definitely a top five player in the world. In my again, in my opinion, I think he's a top five guy. So, yeah, I think once he starts to kind of really hit his stride, I think he's better than. I think he's better than Holger and Casper at the moment. That's sure. so that's that's my question. Like he's better than Casper. He's better than Holger. He's better than Sitsipas right now for sure. Um, Sitsipas is just falling off the face of the earth. But like, yeah, you know. Rublev, so I don't, Rublev, yeah. I mean, Rublev is a serial quarterfinalist. He'll always be there, but like, he's just not a guy that's going to beat anybody better than him. Zverev can. I mean, Zverev beats Sinner. Uh, whether, you know, it was a crappy win or not, like, Zverev beats Sinner at the U.S. Open, which was a totally legitimate win. And, you know, he got destroyed by Carlos, but it doesn't really matter. He, he played really, really well. So, can't take it away from him. I mean, Zverev, Zverev, Zverev deserves to be in this top five, you know, major contention conversations. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, Frankie, with all that said and done, um, Shanghai, we got second week coming up. Is anybody just going to challenge Carlos for this title, like legitimately? Well, Medvedev lost today to. Seb Korda, who we could talk about very briefly, actually. But Seb Korda is just one of those guys that if he actually was fully healthy for one full season, genuinely think he would be approaching top 15 in the world, in my opinion. Um, I think he's got all the tools in the toolkit. His forehand has actually really improved this year. He's just been so injured this year that you haven't gotten to see it a ton. But... Backhand-wise, right up there with the best guys. Serve-wise, has improved a lot. Return-wise is phenomenal. Forehand-wise has gotten so much better. Movement-wise has gotten so much better. He's just got a lot of tools, and I just he, he just needs to stay healthy. Like This guy just needs to stay healthy, and he will get the rewards and the sort of uh, ranking that is more consummate with his game um, and his skill level. But I think now that Medvedev's out, I mean, we know what's happening, right? Um, it's a collision course between Sinner and Alcaraz, with Jan now leading the head-to-head all-time 4-3. Um, you know, Sinner and Alcaraz actually has said in an interview that, like, Jan is his greatest rival and and somebody that he looks forward to playing more than anyone and pushes him more than anyone. And so this is a good thing for tennis. Right, the two of them. It's a, such such a good thing for tennis, and um, you know, I, I I hope that they they meet and they have a great match because it would be again a win for tennis if that happens. Yeah, this is becoming the modern day. I mean, when, once Djokovic leaves, we've always been talking about it, but this is kind of like what we're what we're always hoping for. We want to see a Jan Carlos final. So. Um, Frankie, hopefully we get that. So we'll be able to maybe watch that at like three 30 in the morning, whatever time it is for us. 
Um, yeah, more like watch the YouTube highlights the morning after. But yeah, at least at least Tennis TV, to their credit, is being good about like doing the extended highlights for a lot of the Asian swing because normally they do that like ninety second bull crap, like and it's just like well this has shown me nothing. Um, but they've been pretty good about like doing a little bit longer highlights, which is actually helpful to the rest of the world outside of Asia that's trying to watch these. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Got to give a shout out to Tennis TV for that. So Grand Slams, you can also learn from that when you upload your uh, match highlights. But So bad. Yeah, really bad. But anyways, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Frankie and I are going to sign off, uh, and we will see you at the end of Shanghai. Take it easy. See ya.